guys. Welcome back to the podcast. When it comes to fertility and pregnancy, there can be an overwhelming and conflicting amount of information on the internet. So I thought to round out this kind of fertility mini series, it would be helpful to chat to an accredited practicing dietitian who has a specific interest in this area. Alicia Dean is a dietitian in Newcastle, New South Wales, and works with individuals and couples to improve their chances of falling pregnant with simple nutrition and lifestyle changes. She also gives a lot of education about uh, having a well-rounded diet during pregnancy and foods to avoid and food safety information as well. So as always, we love to hear your questions and feedback. If you have any, you can find us at us on Facebook and Instagram, Or if you feel inclined, we would also love to hear your reviews on the Apple podcast review section. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to learn a little bit about diet and how that impacts on fertility and pregnancy and all that kind of stuff. So thanks so much for being here. No worries. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to um, delve into it and give you a little insight um, into the fertility and pregnancy space. Could you just, I guess, start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in this area? Yeah. So basically, so a little bit about myself. I'm an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist, and um, I do I have done further study um, in sports nutrition a few years ago, but now I'm moving into early life nutrition. So I have just started. Well, I'm kind of at the point where I'm almost finished the nutrition for fertility um, course, which I've been loving. And then also I'll be moving into nutrition therapy for pregnancy in the next few weeks. But basically for me, my interest in early life nutrition really came from my own experience trying to conceive. It kind of, you know, got to the point where it wasn't what I expected. So Basically, when we started to try to conceive, I um, went and got some tests done because I just wasn't feeling myself um, and my cycle was a bit irregular to what it usually is. And I got diagnosed with an autoimmune thyroid condition um, called Hashimoto's. So basically what that meant was that our journey was put on hold as it requires like careful monitoring and consideration when trying to conceive. So this really kind of led me into, okay, like looking more into the research and what I can do to nurture my own fertility journey and kind of going through that process has, you know, made me really passionate about helping other women and raising awareness to the importance of the role of nutrition um, when it comes to fertility, particularly when you're managing a pre-existing condition or even just raising awareness about, you know, that certain dietary conditions can play a big role in your fertility. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's great. I guess you've got like the professional side of things, but also that personal motivation behind what you do, which um, I imagine would make it really easy and special being able to kind of connect and understand with your patients and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really exciting when you find someone that's like got a specific niche area of interest. And obviously it's quite relevant to this mini series I'm doing on fertility. So it was kind of lucky that I found you, but yeah. It's going to be good to chat and get some info because I feel like lots of people have questions about fertility and diet, I guess, in a lot of ways in medicine is like one of the modifiable things that we can kind of control, which is great. I think a lot of people are unlucky, you know, in terms of like family history, you can't control that side of your health or, you know, what diseases and stuff are passed on to you. But diet is something that we can have a bit of control over. So it's good to get some information about how we can use it to our advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So could you, I guess, start by giving us a bit of background on how significant a role does diet actually play for fertility or infertility? 
Yeah, and I think this definitely needs to be spoken about more. Like you were saying, it is one of those modifiable things that we can change. And from a significance point of view, even just making five simple um, diet and lifestyle change can actually boost your fertility by up to 69%. So it's it's quite significant um, in terms of that. And then if you have an ovulatory disorder or um, you're having difficulties ovulating, even those changes can boost your fertility even up to 80%. Wow. So there's lots of impact to be made. And I think as dietitians, you know, the more I kind of get into this space, um, we're kind of not recognized as part of preconception care currently. So a lot of the time people don't know that food makes such an impact or how it can um, either improve your chances of falling naturally, but also improve your chances of falling if you are undergoing assisted um, reproductive technology as well. So there is lots of impact to be made, but we just need to speak about it more and kind of get ourselves, um, you know, in that space of being recognised as some point of call that if you are, say, wanting to start a family, then I would start looking into contacting us, you know, at least three to six months before to start really working on it. Mm-hmm. But say you are already in that space and you're already trying um, and you are having difficulty, then it would be definitely worth reaching out because a lot of the time, and you'll probably talk to the fertility specialist about this as well, but a lot of the time they you kind of just, you know, aren't able to um, conceive and then you would go straight to the fertility specialist. And I think it's important that you know, what you read on the internet, some people may think, okay, well, I'm eating healthy um, for my fertility. And then you talk to us and, you know, there's a lot of key things that are missing. So what you may think as being healthy diet may not necessarily be healthy for fertility. And it's very individualized to you as a person. So what works for, you know, your neighbor or your friend um, isn't necessarily going to work for you. So um, the tailored approach and how we work with you is really um, significant, the True, impact yeah. we can make. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we always make uh, almost disclaimers, I guess, like that on a podcast, because obviously we can only give kind of general advice and information. Whereas if you are, you know, obviously your specific situation is really important. So if you are in yeah. this position, always we would say reach out to a professional that can look at your your individual circumstances. But yeah, today we'll just kind of talk in general terms. Yeah. So I guess a really hot topic is what foods can actually help us improve our fertility? Yes, so lots of food. So we are always advocating for including more food than, you know, avoiding foods. So um, there's lots of foods. The Mediterranean style pattern is probably one key pattern that we see that has a lot of research behind it um, in terms of um, being beneficial. But mostly if we think, if you pull it back to basics and just think about whole food, um, you know, we're looking at your fruit, your veggies, your whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, seafood, extra virgin olive oil, um, you know, you've got your dairy products, your eggs, lean meat. So all of those whole foods that we typically would recommend normally, they do provide some really key nutrients in the fertility space, um, particularly providing things like folate and iodine. Um, so they're probably two key nutrients that you need, particularly in early pregnancy, where so when you don't necessarily know that you're pregnant. Um, and then things like iron and calcium and um, omega-3s and all those wonderful nutrients as well. So they're probably your main kind of foods that I would go with to try and really um, boost your fertility to start with. Obviously, there's a lot more to it 
than that. But that, that's kind of a good place I would start if I'm coming from a, a general um, point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess these are kind of things, you know, changes you could make in your diet, even if you're not actively trying to fall pregnant, because you're, yes. you know, if you're generally trying to eat well anyway, um, it's going to help your health otherwise. So, um, yes. yeah, I guess it's, you know, stuff you could start doing now, even if you're not having kids for a few years. So, that's yeah. Good. And I think, you know, you can start as early as you want, because I think, you know, a lot of the time we see like women will put a lot of time and effort into preparing their nursery, say like when you're pregnant to when your baby gets here. But if you try and think about your body, as it's going to be your baby's home for nine months. So we mm-hmm. really want to nurture it and nourish it to be able to be able to do that. So yeah, starting whenever you're in a position to, I think, um, yeah, there's no real time to start. Like three to six months, like I said, is optimal before, but you could start, yeah, easily a year or two before that. Yeah. And I love that you say, you know, it's, it's important to have a really good variety of foods too. Cause I think we often think, oh, diet, we've got to restrict everything, but it's, it doesn't sound like it's really like that at all. So. Yes. And there are a lot of, um, diet and misinformation at the moment in terms of like, um, what's trendy in the fertility mm-hmm. space. So a lot of the time we see women excluding, um, dairy and gluten really unnecessarily without, um, any medical reason to do so. And like I was saying, a lot of those foods, um, particularly um, our whole grains and our dairy foods, are quite key in terms of providing significant nutrients um, in the fertility space. Absolutely. So I guess just on that, if we are trying to fall pregnant, are there specific things that we should be avoiding or anything that's unsafe to have while we're trying to fall pregnant? Yes, so there are some key foods and things to think about. Um, The first thing would be alcohol. So um, even the current guidelines recommend that women planning to become pregnant or that women who are pregnant or breastfeeding should avoid alcohol. The extent to which alcohol affects fertility is unclear in the research, but um, we do highly recommend that it's best avoided if possible um, and to limit intake to one to two standard drinks per week if you do decide to drink um, while you are trying to conceive. Okay. And other than alcohol, anything else that people should avoid with diet? Yes, so there's a few more. So caffeine is another one. Um, And the current recommendations in Australia from 2009 recommend to limit to 300 milligrams a day. But more recent studies have found that intakes around 200 milligrams are associated, well, sorry, intakes above 200 um, milligrams per day are associated with higher risk of miscarriage. So Mm. it's really recommended that women restrict that intake to 200 milligrams of caffeine per day and what that would look like would be one and a half to two servings of espresso so like 30 milligrams or four cups of black tea so we want to make sure that we're having less than 200 and not exceeding 300 but it's also important to note that caffeine is found in other foods as well so not Mm -hmm. just um, from your coffee so looking at tea um, energy drinks cola um, soft drinks as well as chocolate. Oh no! So yeah, <laughs> a few other things to consider. Like if you think about your daily um, intake. Yeah, I always forget about tea. I always just assume it's you know. Yeah. Not much in that, but yeah, four cups. Certainly, yep. I can drink that in a day. <laughs> yeah, 
And you can also opt. So there are different tea varieties that are caffeine free and you can like slowly move to decaf. So it's just about, yeah, making a few changes to make sure that you're sticking under that um, 200 milligrams. Absolutely. So mostly beverages we should be avoiding by the sounds of it. Any? Yeah, definitely they can. It definitely can, you know, impact, but there are a few other things as well. So on that, sugar-sweetened beverages um, is another one that we typically recommend to avoid, particularly if you're kind of moving into egg and sperm collection. So if you're having um, assisted, so rather than natural, so you'd want to be definitely reducing in the three months before, but we mm-hmm. typically recommend that, you know, all of us, if possible, can reduce our consumption um, of sugar-sweetened beverages. Absolutely. There's a few other things to um, list as well. So trans fatty acids, which are typically found in all of our baked foods, biscuits, chips, pastries, deep fried foods, is another one that we want to avoid and any fish or seafood high in mercury. So that's quite a common one that people are aware of, mm-hmm. um, but they it is a bit confusing about which fish you can include and which fish to avoid. So to give you a little um, breakdown, so you'd want to avoid fish such as orange ruffy, catfish, shark or flake, um, swordfish and marlin. And then the suitable fish that's low in mercury and high in omega-3 um, fatty acids to include would be salmon, mackerel, um, herring and sardines. And then your tinned tuna and salmon uh, are also recommended. Okay, great. So still lots of options. <laughs> That's good. Yes. Cool. There is one more thing. So it's not actually a food. It's more a compound um, that you would want to avoid and it's called BPA. So bisphenol um, A, it's a compound that's typically found in um, plastic containers. So that's another thing that um, we want to raise awareness about and that you would want to avoid from a fertility perspective. Um Some really simple swaps could be moving from plastic to glass or stainless steel, particularly like water bottles or um, for your food containers. And then you also, you definitely don't want to be heating your food in plastic. Um, And this can come down to like kitchen items such as colanders and things like that. Um, And it's not to say that, you know, you have to go and chuck out everything that you own. Mm. Um, It's more about just slowly starting to replace and being aware. Um, Yeah that that can impact your fertility as well. Okay, yeah, and I guess just making those really conscious decisions about what you use while you're in this time of your life, I suppose, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's an interesting one. Certainly didn't know that. (laughs) So obviously you've touched on like as the person with the uterus going to be growing the baby, it's really important to eat well. But what about male partners or, you know, the partner, the other partner involved, what can they do to like use their diet to improve fertility? Yes. So a lot of the time I see um, women typically taking a lot of um, responsibility and a lot of the burden as well when it comes to changes that they're making without kind of considering the male. But the males do provide the 50% of the genetic material. So that's important to to know. And even like 30% of infertility can be attributed to male factors alone. And then if you combine males and females, it's about 50%. So it definitely does play a role. Like like you hear, it does take two to tango. And I think when we're making mm-hmm. changes, um, we'll, we'll be looking at both sides. And it would be something that, say, if you haven't fallen pregnant or you're having trouble, um, you know, it's definitely worth looking to the to the male side about whether 
like either if we look from the food front or whether, um, you know, we look at some supplements as well. Yeah, okay. And could the men take similar advice in terms of limiting alcohol, eating whole foods or the same advice? It's quite similar. Um, There are a few nutrients. So particularly zinc is really important for um, sperm health. So it's found mostly Mm -hmm. in like meats and seafoods, um, also nuts and seeds, spinach, dairy foods. So that's definitely a key one for sperm health as well as folate. So a lot of your leafy greens, legumes, um, whole grains, fortified um, cereals and things like that. Um, But, yeah, very similar to um, recommendations for females. But we're also looking, so olive oil, um, anything rich in vitamin C, so like your fruits also play a role, and omega-3s again, your omega-3 fatty acids. So very similar and um, weight can be something to look at as well um, in that space. So it it has kind of been shown that um, if you are above the healthy weight range, then um, you'd be wanting to kind of look at um, optimising that or kind of getting into more of a healthy weight range. So some of the research has shown that even 10 kilos above the healthy weight range can reduce your fertility by 10%. So um, just something to be mindful of yeah. Yeah, from the male side. Now that we've covered weight from a male perspective, I just wanted to add in, so from a female perspective as well, um, definitely being either underweight or overweight can both have an impact on your fertility. And this really comes down to an imbalance with your hormones. So, you know, it's shown that 30% of infertility can be caused by um, hormone imbalance so definitely from a food point of view working to balance those hormones can really assist with this whether we need to optimize your weight to increase it or whether we need to optimize to decrease it um, it all comes back to ovulation so if you're not ovulating you're unable to get pregnant so like we were saying weight is one of those things that we can optimize but it's not the only thing um that we that we do absolutely and i think it's always important obviously we're never telling people to only focus on the um number on the scales it's obviously a whole picture of where your health is at and i'm sure in the dietitian space you know it's always a whole patient kind of approach but um yeah i think it's something that it yeah important to know that weight can be a significant contributor to where you're at with your fertility so um, yeah yeah and do you often sorry what we can yeah say? no I was gonna say I like how you phrase that because I think a lot of the time people um think that dietitians will just weigh you or we're just so focused on your weight but it's mm-hmm. definitely not like that I think it, it is one part of the picture and you know there's a whole other like a lot of other things that we do consider but I think like you mm-hmm. said it's important to raise awareness that it does contribute, but it can be quite a sensitive um, topic. So it's really about working with your client and making sure that your approach is sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously people have lots of different journeys with weight and it can, you know, battles with weight can impact mental health and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah, we would never say, you know, blanket, everybody needs to target this ideal weight or whatever, but um, yeah, just something to think about. And do you often work in the, when you're working in the fertility space, are you mostly seeing women on their own or couples together or a bit of both? So far women on their own. um, But I know a lot of dietitians do work with couples Um, And I think Mm -hmm. if you can kind of get people working together, it makes those changes a lot easier. So it's not just like one of you is making change and the other one's just continuing doing what you were doing maybe before, which then can create a bit of tension. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it can lead to emotional eating or like stress and, you know, a whole other host of factors that can come into play. So I think definitely 
if it's able to be a team effort, then I think the, mm. the results are probably going to be um, more optimal that way. Yeah. Just having that emotional support, I guess, is helpful. And it's so easy to slip back into old habits if those habits are still going on around you, I guess. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. But you guys are obviously open to see people as couple, like yeah, of um, course. Couples. Yeah. So that's yeah. good for people to know. Um, so moving along, I guess, more to the pregnancy side of things, there's mm-hmm. always been this old saying, you know, you're eating for two, so you've got to eat a lot more food. What, as a dietitian, do you actually recommend people change when it comes to how much they're eating when they're pregnant? Yeah. So like I was saying, I start the nutrition therapy for pregnancy course in a few weeks. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting a bit more insight into that but from a general perspective um, we do hear that I'm eating for two um, Mm. but it's really not until the second or third trimester that your requirements increase um, and they don't increase significantly so it's usually only between 600 to 1200 kilojoules um, which is like it would be equivalent to like one to three slices of bread so yeah, okay. it's it's not much, but I think um, from a pregnancy point of view, we would always aim for quality over quantity to make sure you're meeting all of those nutrient needs during pregnancy. But again, the requirement, your kilojoule requirement would be really individual to you as a person. So that's where getting um, individual support and tailored recommendations to make sure that you are meeting your needs, that it's definitely something that you would not want to be doing alone and just guessing. Sure. Yeah. 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 I guess you've mentioned a few food safety things when you're trying to fall pregnant. Are they the identical, like would you give identical advice when you're pregnant or are there other specific foods you need to be aware of and avoiding while pregnant? Yeah. So there is a really good resource um, that is on foodauthority.newsouthwales.gov.au and it's basically – a PDF um, of food safety during pregnancy and it's got some really good um, information and it's got a table of foods um, and it's kind of got like green, yellow, red in terms of like how you would interpret. But a lot of the common things is like seafood, so particularly raw fish and seafood. Um, So that's something you'd be looking at avoiding um, and particularly fish high in um, mercury. So that's a really common um, question that we get about fish because we do know that fish is so beneficial during fertility and pregnancy, but you want to be limiting um, high mercury fish such as like flake, marlin, broadbill, swordfish um, and catfish. Um, There's a few others that are in that document as well. Um, Your good low mercury options are salmon and like tin tuna. So you can still kind of have um, some of those and they do give a few more guidelines um, in that document to follow. Another thing you want to avoid is any raw or undercooked meat. So making sure that your meat and poultry are cooked all the way through um, as well as eggs, any processed meats or cold meats like sitting in the deli. Same with like salad bar ingredients like if you're at the shops or like with sushi like and it's kind of sitting there, um, you typically Mm. want to avoid that um, and any soft cheeses as well. They're probably your main ones, um, but there's still the lots of food. Yeah, <laughs> there's still lots to um, include. You just have to be a little bit more careful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it would be handy to like keep that on your phone, I guess, just as a reminder every time you're like out and about or whatever, because it is quite a long list from what I've seen. Like, there's a few things that you've got to be careful about. So yeah, and I think mm. the table helps because it is color coded and um, it's re- mm. kind of set out really easy that you can kind of scroll through um, into like food groups even. Um, so if there's something you were looking for really quickly, 
um, you can find it. Another key Perfect. thing would be just your general food safety as well. So making sure that you're like using different chopping boards like with meats and veggies and make sure you're like washing things down before, you know, kind of transferring. Um, leftovers is another big one. Um, you mm. basically would want to put your leftovers straight in the fridge and consume them within 48 hours. Um, and you do want to reheat them until at least, I think it's 60 degrees, like you want them to be quite hot before you eat them. Yeah. I think like growing up, we always used to let, we'd cook dinner and then let it go to room temperature on the bench and then put it in the fridge. But that's wrong, isn't it? You meant to put it straight in the fridge. Yeah, straight in the fridge. I, lo- <laughs> I learned that when I was well into my 20s. So yeah. It was a bit of a shock. Another, I guess, common thing in pre- pregnancy, particularly early pregnancy, um, women tend to experience a lot of nausea, vomiting, morning sickness, that type of thing. Yeah. Is there any like general advice you'd give in terms of what foods can help when you're not feeling up to eating, you know, your normal, well-rounded, nutritious diet? Yes. A lot of women, um, you know, from, from what we hear is that, you know, you think during pregnancy you're going to be eating all this nutritious food and then, yeah, your nausea and vomiting hits and all you want to do is eat dry toast and crackers. And look, that's really common and they are one of those foods that you, you would be including because we still you still want to be trying to eat. Um, you don't want to kind of be missing meals either or skipping because it can make your like nausea worse but anything like dry toast crackers um fresh tinned or dried fruit can be good um rice cakes with peanut butter or vegemite um, hard cheese mixed nuts muesli bars unbuttered popcorn and some yogurt Mm -hmm. so they're probably some of the key foods um and some good tips would be to avoid large meals all at once so you probably want to try and spread out like to six or eight smaller meals like across the day sipping on water diluted juice or milk can sometimes help between your meals um limiting spicy foods or fatty foods um can also help and then avoiding any foods with really strong aromas so sometimes even getting your partner to kind of help prepare the food um can be a good strategy (laughs) um to get through that but ginger as well so a lot of times sometimes ginger can help um or foods rich in vitamin b6 so like bananas and avocados um are probably some of your your key ones okay yeah and i've seen on your instagram you often make these like immaculate looking snack plates i feel like they would be a really good approach for pregnant women who are nausea like just having like dry nuts like not expecting heaps of yourself to eat enormous meals but yes i do love a good snack plate um (laughs) i've been very inspired by those (laughs) (laughs) i think it can just be a good way um for me i just like to eat little bits of everything at one time but i think like you were saying it could be a really good strategy in that space if you are feeling really nauseous um or if you've been vomiting, it is also important to replace your fluids um, during that mm-hmm. time. Like if you are consistently um, vomiting, so making sure you are keeping hydrated. Um, but another key thing would be if it continues. So like some women experience nausea and vomiting for uh, quite a substantial amount of their pregnancy. So I think um, reaching out to your health professional and getting some some advice around what to do there um, is definitely best. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have input from a few different professionals. And obviously the nausea and vomiting thing is on a spectrum. So some people yes. have quite mild symptoms and some people have really severe hyperemesis. And obviously, yes. you know, sometimes medication is important too, but um, yep. yeah. So just, yeah, look after yourself, I guess, yeah. is the, the advice. Yeah. Having a good team around is important. Yeah. Now, some listeners have sent in some specific questions, which 
I'm delighted to have somebody with more knowledge <laughs> than me to answer. Um, and the first, well, you've already kind of answered the one about eating fish in pregnancy, so we'll skip over that one. Yep. Um, but the second one I thought was interesting, it was just how much water should I drink during pregnancy? Yeah, so again, this one's quite individual as well. So a dietitian can help you work out your like individual requirements for that. They do increase during pregnancy, so just being mindful of that, like, obviously your minimum eight glasses a day or that's roughly around two litres. So that's probably a good point of call. And then you would kind of increase on top of that, um, obviously depending on like if it's hot or um, kind of sometimes not just drinking for thirst as well. Um, So just making sure you are kind of consistently drinking across the day. But again, quite hard to answer generally. Like obviously the general would be your eight cups or two litres at least. Um, but then there's a lot of other factors that kind of come into play as well. Absolutely. And I guess some women um, have specific complications of pregnancy that might restrict how much they can have or might increase their requirements. So, yeah, it's a good thing, I guess, to get specific advice on. Now, another good question. This uh, person has said, I'm in my second trimester and I feel bloated and constipated all the time. Are there natural ways of dealing with these symptoms? Yeah, so constipation is a really... um, common side effect and it affects you know over 50% of expecting mothers um, particularly expecting it sometime during pregnancy so there's usually three reasons why um, this happens as well so it's usually because um, the baby actually will put um, pressure so you know you're having extra added pressure um, particularly on the bowels as well so it can make um, it difficult to pass Um, Also during pregnancy, you have an increased hormone production as well, um, particularly of progesterone. So that actually relaxes your body's muscles, making it even harder. Um, And then particularly high iron levels is probably one of the common things that we see, um, whether it's um, usually found in like prenatal vitamins. So I think if you are taking that depending on what type of supplement, it can um, definitely play a role. This is where your water would come in really handy. So making sure that you mm. are having enough water across the day but also having enough um, fibre-rich foods as well. Absolutely. Yeah, the iron's a really common one because I feel like we used to, in antenatal clinic, there'd be so many women struggling with iron deficiency and need the supplements but then they'd be in this really horrendous cycle of now I'm constipated so Again, it's probably one worth talking to also your GP or antenatal care provider as well because sometimes if, depending on how severe your iron deficiency is, you can alternate days of dosing or try a one that's better for constipation, that kind of thing too. So, Yes, there's lots of different ways that you can do it and I think um, I think this hasn't been covered as well. Just with prenatal um, supplements, it's definitely worth getting individual advice rather than taking one that, say, like your friends taking or something like that because we usually would think of it while in the first um, trimester and definitely in that early pregnancy stage you do need more folate well folic acid and iodine but then basically we would be supplementing to fill gaps from your diet Um, so it really depends on your base diet and then of what supplements we would kind of um, add in whether it's all in one um, prenatal or whether it's supplemented separately So, um, yeah, definitely getting some tailored advice is really important um, there because they are really expensive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was so shocked when I didn't realise until my sister started buying them for her pregnancies and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, 
It yeah. can definitely add up. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to ask this um, down the track, but it's relevant now. This other yeah. listener question is, I've had iron deficiency in the past and I've heard it can happen a lot during pregnancy. How can I use my diet to avoid needing supplements in pregnancy? I think this one's really tricky. Like you were saying, a lot of women do experience iron deficiency um, either before pregnancy or during, but it is because our iron requirements increase. So our iron mm. requirements are 18 milligrams a day and then when we're pregnant, they jump to 27 milligrams. So mm. for us to try and get that much iron in through our diet is really, really tricky. And it's not just the amount that you're taking in, it's it's basically comes down to absorption in the diet as well. So we have two different types of iron, um, one that's found in animal sources, so that's our heme iron, and then we have our plant sources, which is our non-heme iron. So basically our animal sources are absorbed more effectively and then our plant sources are not absorbed as effectively. So um, it, it's really, really difficult um, to make sure that you're getting enough um, and making sure that you are absorbing enough so I think it would be really tricky to kind of get that and I think that's why a lot of women during pregnancy will often need supplements or sometimes need infusions Mm -hmm. um, down the track but I would just try to include a variety of iron rich foods in your day Um, and if it if your diet does allow and you're not vegetarian or vegan then definitely making sure you're having some of those animal sources but it's important Mm -hmm. to know even like 100 grams of red meat will only give you three milligrams of iron so Gosh. if you think about 27 milligrams, it's actually really difficult. It's a lot to of steak. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's quite tricky. What are some examples of the plant-based non-heme iron sources? Like what foods are included yep. in that? So a lot of those, so like our legumes, so all of our kidney beans, baked beans, um, soybeans, even tofu is a good one. Um you got whole grain breads and cereals. You can get usually um, foods that are fortified, so like breakfast cereals that are fortified with iron, um, eggs, cashews, almonds, green leafy veg. So, you know, you can get quite a, a range coming in, but like I said, just being mindful mm-hmm. of absorption. And then there are a few tips that you can do to improve that absorption. So if you pair those um, plant-based sources with uh, vitamin C-rich foods, that can boost the absorption. So anything mm-hmm. like citrus, um, fruits, strawberries, kiwis, capsicum, broccoli. So like if you had a stir fry with like tofu and then you chucked in like some broccoli and um, capsicum, mm-hmm. then that could be a good way to um, increase the absorption. And then another good strategy is to avoid coffee and tea with your meals because there's a compound in those that um, can inhibit iron absorption. So you want to try and aim for at least 30 minutes um, between your tea or coffee and your meal. And that's really common. We see people all the time in clinic or that will have like a meal and their coffee together or they're having cups of tea all day long like with their meals. So it can be a strategy to look at. And then, um, like you said, just getting your iron monitored regularly to make sure that you can kind of know, you know, where it's all at and whether you do need to be being a bit more cautious or whether you need to be supplementing but regular monitoring I think Mm -hmm. is the best the best way to keep on top of it yeah and I think it's so important not to beat yourself up if you do end up needing supplements like it's not necessarily something you've done wrong it's just such a common requirement in pregnancy and you know if you end up in that situation yeah don't stress (laughs) it's okay you're not the only one it is Um, so so common and I think yeah like you said um sometimes we can beat ourselves up over it but it is a really really high requirement so a lot of the time we do need the extra support 
Absolutely. So another question from a listener, what should you take slash do to improve gut microbiome when trying to conceive? Yes. So your gut microbiome is a really kind of hot topic at the moment. Um, A lot of people are interested um, in the gut microbiome, which like for good reason, Um, you know, it is, it's quite a um, fascinating area of research and the more we know about it, um, you know, we're getting even more excited. But from um, while you're trying to conceive, it would be very similar to kind of if like before you were trying to conceive, um, we just like to aim for variety and a really good diversity for your gut. So gut, your gut loves diversity. So um, they've done research into improved diversity with more than 30 plant foods a week versus less than 10. Um, so the more variety you can get in. So even that comes down to like if you ate like cashews, Brazil nuts, like if you kind of had different varieties of the same food, that can be a way to kind of boost your diversity. But, you know, looking at prebiotics and probiotics, so that's probably something that most of the listeners have heard before. Um, they're quite trendy um, buzzwords at the moment, but we can get prebiotics from our food as well as probiotics. So we don't necessarily need to jump straight to supplements. And again, if you were needing that, it would be worth getting individualized support with it. But if we were to think about it, and I think a really good way to think about our gut is if we use um, an analogy similar to your gut being like a garden. And then if we think about your prebiotics, they're basically the fertilizer that supports and nourishes the soil in the garden and the probiotics are the soil so it's the good bacteria that already live there so we need a balance of both like to have a healthy gut microbiome to support our digestive system so I think a lot of the time when you kind of explain it like that people kind of understand they're like okay like you know I can kind of work here and you know make sure that I'm having enough of both rather than just supplementing with a prebiotic and that's it So I think our prebiotic foods, um, they typically look like onion, garlic, leek, asparagus, bananas, barley, oats, apples, um, legumes. So lots and lots of variety you can get in there. And then your probiotic foods are more like your yogurt, your fermented options, um, you know, looking at sauerkraut, you've got um, kimchi, kefir, um, all of those wonderful options as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of foods that you can include and then just being mindful, yeah, to aim for as much variety as you can. Yeah, and I think it's so important to keep in mind too the whole, you know, supplement industry, it's such a big marketing thing too. Like even as someone, like I consider myself to have reasonable health literacy as a doctor, (laughs) but like it's still so overwhelming when you go into pharmacies and stuff and they're all marketed like women's vitamin, like all these different things. And you're like, well, how do I know what I need? And I guess, again, that's where getting personal advice is really important. Yes, absolutely. It can be so confusing. And most of the time when we see women, it's basically towards the end, you know, of their journey or when they're really struggling um, and they're either taking all of these supplements and, you know, we really like to bring it back to basics and focus on what we can do with food mm-hmm. and make it really achievable and realistic, um, you know, and really tailor that to the patient. And then, like I said, supplement if we need. And we like to think about supplements like insurance. So like you want to have your, your base diet done and then we would just meet those gaps. Absolutely, yeah. 
And now another interesting question, which I feel like might be relevant to quite a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, This listener has said, I'm vegan. Is there anything specific I should know about my diet when trying to conceive? Yes. So I touched a little bit about this earlier when I was talking about iron. There are a lot of things that you would need to consider just because um, a lot of the foods that are restricted um, contain a lot of those key nutrients for fertility that I was mentioning before. It's not to say that you that you can't do it. It's just that I would do it supported. So make sure you are getting individual advice when it comes to um, like a vegan approach to just make sure you are meeting all your nutrients and supplementing where, where you need to. Because a lot of those foods, so in terms of nutrients that would be at risk, I would be looking at protein, calcium, iron, zinc, particularly B12. So B12 is only primarily found in animal products. So if you're not having any at all, then, you know, you definitely would need to be getting supplement. And then um, omega-3 fats as well. You can get plant, um, like I was saying, there are plant sources of your omega-3 fats as well, but um, there are plant um, varieties of supplements that that could be looked into if needed. Um, But some tips, say if a vegan um, listener is wanting some just some simple general tips it would be to include a fortified like soy milk that ensures that it has b12 and calcium so if you are looking at a plant-based milk you would want to see more than or roughly 300 milligrams per serve or more than 120 milligrams per um, hundred in terms of calcium fortification And then you would want to be making sure you're having like lots of nuts, lots of legumes so that you're getting calcium in there and then um, supplementing with B12 if necessary. Perfect. And I think, you know, there's so many people who do have vegan diets or vegetarian diets who have a really good understanding of their usual requirements and how to make it up. But I think pregnancy places such a unique physiological demand on your body that unless you have some specific education about food in that space then yeah so important to get some additional advice and support through that time Um, so that's a great question now obviously this is a really huge topic and we've just kind of scratched the surface (laughs) where would you recommend people go if they want to read more about this like if they want reliable sources about food and fertility or pregnancy yep so I think like I've kind of said it throughout the um, podcast but Definitely working with a dietitian one-on-one would be my first point of call. So rather than like guessing and, you know, trying to figure it out on your own, just reach out to like one of us um, and get that individual support that you need. Um, It will just save a lot of time, a lot of confusion and stress. Um, But if you are looking, Nutrition Plus is the um, group that I'm doing my courses through and um, they are a leading team of dietitians that specialize in early life nutrition, women's health, um, and they do a lot of support online virtually as well. So they're all around Australia and um, in New Zealand as well. So um, that would be my first point of call. So reaching out to one of those dietitians. Um, Also, Melanie McGrice, so sorry, Melanie McGrice, she is the founder of Nutrition Plus. She has a website, a blog. Um, she does lots of YouTube videos with um, content. So that would be evidence-based information that you could go to. And then also um, one of my colleagues, um, Stephanie Velakis. so she runs the Dietologist um, Instagram account. Um, she has a really good website and podcast called Fertility Friendly Food. Um, 
and she's an absolute wealth of knowledge in this space. So she would be another dietitian that I would um, reach out to or, you know, visit her website for um, credible information. Perfect. That's really helpful. What about where, where can people find your information? Because you do a lot in the online space too. Yeah, so basically you can find me at aliciadean.dietitian. So that's on Instagram. I mostly use Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook as well. And then my website is um, addietitian.com. So all of my information is there. I do offer online consultations. um, And at the moment, I do have eight-week nutrition packages going. So basically, it just gives you that kind of support to kind of work through um, any you know, fertility um, support you need, pregnancy, but also like any women's health conditions. So that would be, you know, anything from thyroid to PCOS or um, just wanting to optimise your diet in general. Perfect. That's so helpful in COVID times that they yeah. can um, <laughs> contact you online because, um, yep. yeah, I mean, it can be so isolating at the moment. So that's great. You can still get dietitian support in times like these. So, yep. um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've learned a lot and, um, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. As always, guys, we will link all the resources that Alicia's mentioned in the show notes. So if you want to do some further reading, you can find them there uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You to you, you to me, you to us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Podcast.